The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena. And as always, I am joined by my man, Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? Going pretty good. Had a uh, had a baby shower yesterday. Um, I've never actually had, like, I've got a kid, but I wasn't part of the baby shower. So this time I was in it. Uh, wow. it, it was It was a lot of fun. Um, but I did, I lost my voice just a little bit because like there was another baby shower in like that same banquet room at the same time. So just as the day went on, it just kept escalating and escalating (laughs) in volume. So, uh, so I was, I did a lot of yelling, but, uh, it was cool. You know, the, the twins on the way have a lot of love. And, uh, I also got an evening to myself because my wife stayed out with her friends and I got to go home and oh, I, that's awesome. Okay. Oh, Nothing and, like and that. I spent to looking at baseball stuff pretty much exclusively. So <laughs> <laughs> what got else would you be looking coming. at? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So you were involved in the baby shower. Cause a lot of times some, uh, you know, like a shower activity, uh, the males are excluded, but uh, you were included, huh? In a sense, I was there. Right. Mm-hmm. It was, it was sort of co-ed. I was there, uh, you know, had some family members there, things like that. There's another baby shower too, that I'm not invited to. Mm. That's like, that's all the ladies, but, um, right. no, it was, it so was what are you cool. going to be doing then? You're going to be looking at baseball stuff and writing articles and uh, um, doing well, rolling my charts article should uh, be out by then, because uh-huh. as you know, as well, you well know, we've got PL eight yes. uh, coming out on yeah. Tuesdays, the day after this drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have uh, a top 30 for, First, second, third, and short. I have a top 100 outfielders, and it should drop Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. A top 15 DH because Nick probably won't listen, but that he he loves me writing a top 15 DH uh, <laughs> uh, thing, which is for anyone who qualifies at DH, which is right. basically everybody. Uh, right, and and also I've never seen a league that requires a DH, just mm-hmm. utility. I've, right. But if it's out there, I'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Okay. So looking forward to all that. And uh, like you said, you're writing a top 100 article on outfielders. We're going to be focusing on outfield today. Obviously, there are just too many to go over every single outfielder. So if there's any specific player that we don't get to today that you want to hear about, reach out to us. Let us know. We'll include it on our, our next podcast. You can follow me at Joe Galina. Follow this guy at If The Chew Fits. And you were mentioning the rollout of uh, PL8. We're recording this on Sunday, February 5th. 
and it's going to debut Monday, and then Tuesday comes the PL8 debuts. And I love some of your tweet just highlighting some of the nuances to PL8, especially uh, Marcus Simeon. Uh, when uh, you you posted something about you know how some players might press right when they first get to a a, a new place, and and you had a little a blip about that. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. So. First, hopefully we're able to get Kyle Bland on the show or something at some point. Sure. He has helped us take, uh, you know, real quick primer. PL, uh, all these stats are based on PLV, which is Nick's like three-year project with various data guys and analysts and all these things to create pitch-by-pitch level data of based on the type of pitch, the movement, the location, the count, all these things. What what would our model expect to happen with that pitch, be it a called strike, a swinging strike, like, you know, by percentage, and then what actually happened and help us determine, you know, first to to determine if it was a good pitch, regardless of outcome, right? Because good pitches sometimes get hit hard, Mm -hmm. right? Mike Trout will spoil a really good pitch at the bottom of the zone because he likes to do that kind of thing. So we evaluate the pitch by how good it is, not just on the result, but on the expected result, not unlike all the expected stats we talk about all the time. Right. So we've now got that by a, on a pitch by pitch level basis. Right. So what Kyle has helped us create are these rolling charts that are really focused on skills. Up until now, we've been doing rolling charts, mostly on outcomes and stats. Right. Rolling slugging, a rolling uh, chase rate, those kinds of things. Now we have it pitch by pitch for also expected. Right. So when I talked about Marcus Semien and his aggression, I'm not just saying aggression meaning how often he swings outside the zone because there's so much more to swing aggression than whether you chase pitches or not right because you could be really aggressive but you might only be aggressive on certain types of pitches or you might be really really aggressive but you never miss right so it doesn't look like it in the strikeout rate and that's usually what we we say aggressive means chase or strikeout but there's all other kinds of things with Marcus Semien what was really interesting is that in 2021 his rolling swing aggression, which is based on PLV, how much more or less often he swung based on what the league would usually do on that type of pitch in that location in that count. Right. So it used in 2021, he was close to the bottom 25th percentile. Uh, he was actually a little bit lower than the, or a little bit above the 25th percentile. And in, in the sense that he almost never swung when guys would swing, he, he was much less often to swing. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, he was much less, you know, he just didn't swing that much, even when we would expect the player to swing. When you look at the start of 2022, he was near the 90th percentile in aggression. Right. He was swinging Mm -hmm. at things that he never would have swung at the year before. And he was swinging at things that most of the league wouldn't swing at. Mm -hmm. Right. So to go from a place where only a quarter of the league swings as much as you do to Mm -hmm. a place where. 90% of the league swings less than you do. That's a huge jump. And it only happens for a short time. And then sure enough, he comes back down. He ends up being a little bit more aggressive in Texas than he was the year before, but well within the normal sort of range, right? Sort of in this 25th to 50th percentile. And when we talk about percentiles, it is important to note that, you know, 75% of the league is between 25 and, or sorry, half the league is basically within the 25th percentile and the 75th Mm -hmm. percentile. 
and that you really start seeing stuff when you get beyond those edges. It's called the normal distribution. Math nerds will know what it is, but most players are really packed around the middle, right? And he's usually somewhere a little less aggressive than the league average. But to see that big spike helps me understand why he came out to such a slow start. He was a yeah. diff- he was trying that's to be a different player. That's the important part. Yes, and that's what what I <clears throat> wanted you to bring out is how you could use these new tools that are part of PL8. So now we have an explanation as to you know what happened in terms of why yeah. he batted 157 in April. You know, yeah. and, and, and it wasn't like he was striking out a lot. Right. It wasn't like he was swinging because it didn't show up in the strikeout rates and walk rates. What it mm-hmm. showed up in was weak contact because Marcus Semien is good at making contact. He can hit pitches that other guys can't hit. The problem mm-hmm. is when you're swinging at stuff that are like on the edges of the zone, you're swinging at, at pitches that are hard to hit. You're not going to do good things with them. Right. There's right. only so much you can do that and be good. So to see him swinging that much and then he uh, to see him swinging that much really explains why the quality of contact was just garbage, mm-hmm. right? Swing at things that he's just not, not usually comfortable swinging at. He's usually far more selective. He usually really waits for his spots. He wasn't doing that. It killed his ability to hit for power. But then as he comes back down to the type of player he normally is, what do we see? We see the type of production we normally expect from Marcus Semyon. Mm-hmm. So it gives us this new ability to, you know, as I mentioned in my PitchCon presentation, which is available out there if you want to watch it, it really helps us understand the narrative of why something happened because the basic stats won't always tell you the story, right? All Mm -hmm. you see is that he's making terrible quality of contact, but why, right? Right. Was it, was it bad luck? Was it, was he hurt? Was it, what was it? And for Semyon, it was, he was pressing and we, Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about that before. Anyway, we said, Mm -hmm. Oh, he's probably pressing at the plate, but we didn't have a way to like really prove it that well. Mm -hmm. His overall swing rate was up a little bit. Right. But, Swing rates can really change, for example, if pitchers are just pitching him differently. Mm -hmm. So what we also get to see is a baseline. We're not just comparing him against himself. We're comparing him against the rest of the league using, you know, we expect players to swing a certain amount. And he's swinging not just more than his usual, but more than most players, right? When he usually swings less than most players. That Mm -hmm. really helps us build that narrative to say, okay, I kind of understand why this is happening. And as I watched it normalize to what it looked like, in years past, so did the production. The production right. came back. It gives me that, like, I don't need to worry about this in 2023 mm-hmm. because it's very unlikely. Like, he may have spikes, but we're not going to see a spike like that because there's a really good narrative understanding of why that would happen. A right. very natural and human one, right? right? And now that's yep. over. I don't got to worry about that anymore. Awesome stuff. And and like you mentioned, uh, PitchCon now available on YouTube, right? And I guess you can get the link. If you follow Nick Pollock uh, at PitcherList, he, he posted the link to you. You could get the, the three days worth of, or was it three? Was four days? Three days was uh, four. Four days. Yeah. Yeah. We had four days of PitchCon presentations. Wednesday, Mine was yeah, on yeah. Saturday. Yeah, so yeah. <clears throat> they'll also all come out as individual YouTube videos to see each one. I know that I'll be posting mine uh, mm-hmm. when I go and, and hunt it down, but. Really cool stuff. And again, we're going to talk about it more as we do this podcast, but really understanding the skills and the underlying things going on, right? I mean, yeah. the most fun player, when, on Tuesday, we're going to release this app to everyone so they can see the rolling charts. I know I've tweeted about it. Chris Clegg has tweeted about it. O'Neill Cruz is one of the most fun players to look at, mm-hmm. right? And, and I wish I had this when we did the shortstop breakdown, but like you get to watch as the season goes that he becomes more patient and we can actually do this by count as well. So right. Kyle Bland added this very recently. You can now look up swing aggression in 
certain counts, like two strike counts. And you see O'Neill Cruz in two strike counts becomes more selective. And as he does that, the val- we have a stat called decision value, which is if you chose to swing or not swing, did that was that better than what the league average would have been on that decision, right? If you chose to swing, then most of the league would have taken that pitch because it's a ball, right? Then that was a bad decision, right? Mm-hmm. To swing at a pitch that would have been a ball. Uh, and, and here's, we know the average outcome for these pitches, right? A sinker on the inside bottom corner is almost never a good thing to swing at, right? Even if it's sort of in the strike zone, unless it's two strikes, because there's nothing to do with that pitch, right? right? You can't really do anything with it. So we have it. And so if we see that O'Neill Cruz decides to swing at that pitch, we can sort of determine like, Hey, we know that for 80% of the league or whatever, this is a bad outcome. You shouldn't mm-hmm. swing. We get to com- We get to make a chart that shows us if he's good at making those decisions. And what's he do in two strike counts, he gets better and better and better and better. And when you look at the real results, he got better and better and better by far his best months of the season, September. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's mm-hmm. when he's at his peak in contact ability and in strike zone judgment in two strike counts. Mm-hmm. that's exactly what I want to see from O'Neill Cruz from a guy who I'm worried about his contact. He got better and better, better as the season went. And I can see why, because he got better in two strike counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the more information you have at your fingertips, the better evaluation uh, that you could make regarding player. And uh, kudos to Nick. He, he has continuously, continuously said he wanted to build the best baseball uh, website in the world and and he's just about there man it just gets better and better so kudos to uh, everyone involved so uh why don't we jump in into uh our outfield breakdown and we could uh, pick up with uh tier one and we've got aaron judge this these are your rankings by the way aaron judge kyle tucker julio rodriguez and jordan Alvarez as your top four. Uh, we really don't need to talk about Aaron Judge, right? I mean, we've, we've talked about him uh, a lot on this podcast. Kyle Tucker, I know he's one of your guys, right? Um, 30 yeah, homers. Yeah, that's because he's got 30 home run power and 30 stolen base ability with a decent batting average. Right? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. not a whole lot to that story. And, and he's actually probably going to hit even closer. He, he weirdly kept batting like sixth for the mm-hmm. Astros in uh in the last few years he should be a little closer to the middle of that the the middle of that order like four or five so so that's going to help a lot um you know really the interesting name in in this tier uh you know forgive me if if you don't agree but it's julio rodriguez right so i love you know how much i love julio rodriguez yeah and so there's a lot of things to like about julio rodriguez um I, i mean i think number one most people what they're worried about for him is the stolen bases and that's going to be hard. That's going to be really hard to get a feel for because as much as he did run a little less, some of that might've been injury concern. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of that, some of that might be offset by the rule changes, right? Just a little bit. So without projecting too much on the stolen bases, because as long as he steals even like 20 stolen bases, this is a first round talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't need 30. He doesn't need 40 to be a first round guy because there's some elite skills here. He's re- he's really interesting though, because when you look at these rolling charts, right? Oh, Normally when a great, player yeah. gets worse at uh, strike zone judgment, which mm-hmm. is basically when you took a pitch, was it actually a ball? When you swung, was it actually a strike? And it is like sort of weighted for count and things like that. Uh, he actually gets worse 
as the season goes on. At one point, he's in the 90th percentile by the end. He's close to the bottom 10th percentile in strike zone judgment. But there's a reason wow, for that, okay. and it's not because he's dumb. It's actually <laughs> because he goes from in the early in the le- early in the year, he was actually in the 25th percentile in contact ability, which is when he swung at a pitch, he was less likely to hit that pitch than the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. He was well less likely to make contact, right? By the end of the season, there's a huge spike. He does sort of get worse in strike zone judgment, but why? Because he's hitting the ball harder. He's got this mm-hmm. contact. He's able to locate these pitches better. He, he, and he's J rod, right? He can swing and hit pitches that other players can't. He knows it. He becomes more comfortable finding pitches, whether they're in or out of the strike zone. He knows what he can do damage to. And that's why we do see more and more power and him staying strong. How does a guy get worse at judging the strike zone, but still put up as good or better numbers at the end of the season? Because he's better at making contact. He's locating breaking balls better, right? He's understanding where he can hit pitches. He gets better at that as the season goes on. So for J-Rod, I'm really excited because a player like J-Rod, I don't want walking. You know, walk if they give you nothing to hit. But my God, J-Rod can hit any almost anything. So mm-hmm. swing, man. Hit the ball, and he did. Yeah, right? yeah. Really and, like yeah. that. And it's interesting. Great analysis on your part, because I, I was looking at one of his rolling charts, and all I saw was his Woba going way up and strikeout rate going way down as the season progressed. But you took it to another level, my friend. Very good. So, But, you know, he's one of my guys and has been – uh, you know, like I, I said, I, I was uh, drafting him way early, <laughs> you know, way above his ADP last season. And actually, thank thank goodness it worked out. But uh, I was wondering what my league mates were thinking, like, you know, what is he doing? Why is he drafting Julio Rodriguez? But uh, definitely uh, an exciting player to watch. I, I will say this about Kyle Tucker. Love him. Um, I, I think we're going to see some some regression in that batting average. Uh from 2021, right? He batted 294, batted 257 last season. I think that the 260, 270 range is probably what we're expecting, right? But uh, like you said, uh, 30 homer, 20 plus stolen base potential. Uh, I like him as well, and I know he's one of your guys. But uh, yeah, good I'm just very safe. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Very, very safe. And yeah. it, like, it's easy to say, oh, he'll split the difference. But like, mm-hmm. 260 to 290, that's actually all within sort of reasonable outcomes, right? Like one's oh, yeah. a little lower on the end of what to expect. The other's a little higher uh, mm-hmm. than what to expect. If you're thinking in the middle, you're actually probably right. This is a pretty, we have a pretty good idea of what Kyle Tucker is. Could he take steps forward or backward? Sure. But it'd be really, it'd be really unlikely to see him take big steps in really either direction. He can right. be mostly the same player and hit somewhere between like 260 and 80. Right. All right. So let's get to, to tier two and you have Juan Soto. Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Mike Trout. Uh, Am I missing someone here in this tier? Uh, No, Mike Trout ends it for you, right? Uh, I was interested, and you you could pick any player you want to talk about here, but uh, Ronald Acuna, uh, looking, you know, fantasy pros, uh, consensus ADPs, and NFBC uh, consensus. Well, they don't have any consensus, but NFBC uh, ADP, they have them a little bit uh, higher than you. Um, I mean, you know, when I look at them, you know, there are some areas of concern. I guess barrel rate uh, was 12.8, uh, 20.3 previous season. League average is 6.7. There was a ground ball rate spike last season, and you got to wonder if that's going to, you know, affect his, his home run 
total. I mean, you know, back in 2019, the the fly, you know, the happy ball season that we keep on talking about, he had 41, but uh, his ground ball rate last season was 47.7. Uh, in 2022 previous year was 31.8. So uh, what made you rank him a little bit lower than others? So a couple things. Number one, he's got to play, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's only, you know, he played 156 games in 2019. In the shortened 2020 season, he did play 46 of 60, right? Mm-hmm. year before that, 82. Uh, in this last season, 119. You just can't get it done, right? Like how many seasons does... Uh, Ronald Acuna have of more than 55 RBI, right? Two, 2018 and 2019, hmm. right? Uh, how many seasons does he have where he's played 120 games? One, right? Like he he doesn't play. And that's really, that's really tough to deal with sometimes. So I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the ground ball rate. I'm glad you brought it up because it's hard to hit home runs when they're on the ground, right? Nothing right. that hits the, nothing that hits the ground in the infield leaves the park. It just no. it doesn't work that no. way. Right. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physician, yeah. but I know they're not leaving. Any the analyst will tell you that. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So he is coming into his age 25 season. And look, if he plays a full season, he's great. Right. But is he that mm-hmm. much better than Kyle Tucker? Well, honestly, if he plays a full season, is he going to hit many more than 30 home runs? He's got one. He had the one season with 41. I'll, I'll give you that. It was 2019. Right. right. We know that we got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. He did Correct. hit 24 home runs in 82 games in 2021. But remember, he did miss the rest of the season. 24 home runs does not get it done at mm-hmm. this level of the outfield. Right. It's just mm-hmm. not enough. So there's so many risks. That's why I bring him down. Look, if your risk appetite is higher than that, fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, not now I'm not just worrying about health coming into 20. 22 it was all i'm worried about is health and now i'm like and now i'm kind of a little worried about that power right because mm-hmm. 15 home runs in 120 games ain't that many right 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 and there's only so much you know and stolen bases are going to be a little bit more commonplace now so they're not quite as valuable as they were the season before assuming the rule changes do what we, th- we think they do right right so a little bit of th- you know a little bit to worry about obviously an enormous ceiling but that floor just feels so much more real uh, every single year that we're on it, right? Because mm-hmm. every it, you know, in several seasons we've had to deal with the fact that he's got we've gotten the floor performance and not the ceiling. Right. Talking about injury risk, let's talk about uh, for for a minute or two about the last guy in this tier for you, Mike Trout. Um, Going to be injury concerns with him for the rest of his career. He's got this rare back condition uh, that is going to uh, it's been stated it's been that he it's going to affect him for the rest of his career but still you look at what he did last season he only played 119 games but 40 home runs 80 rbi he doesn't run anymore but how concerned are you in terms of injury risk when it comes to mike trout and and another question why i think he's going to be playing in the world baseball classic why i mean if (laughs) you know with with his injury history i I would i would you know not have if i'm the angels i'm saying please don't go yeah and let's make sure we talk about the difference in injury history between mike trout and ronald acuna jr right with ronald acuna jr he's got one season where he's played 120 games right um Mike Trout, he did only have 119 last season. He played 36 in 2021, but it was 53 out of 60 in 2020, 134 in 2019, 140 in 2018, then down to 114 in 2017, but then 159, 159, 157. But now he has this injury. Yeah, now he has this. And he had it last year too, and he actually was better when he came back. Because now it went from 
something's wrong with his back to I know what's wrong with his back. He mm-hmm. knows. I mean, when they had, we actually talked about this in our podcast last year where Mike Trout came out and said, look, I know what this is now. I know mm. how to manage this now. And what do we okay. see? We saw him do exactly that. The guy mm. just raked. I mean, this guy, I talked about Ronald Cunha Jr. He had 15 home runs in 119 games. Same and 50 RBI, right? Mike mm-hmm. Trout, 40 home runs and 80 RBI, right? That's a huge difference. Knowing what right. Mike Trout can do in 120 games, I got no question about what Mike Trout can do in 120 games, right? It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how much he plays. But I, that's my only concern for him. I thought he, you know, he managed the, he managed the injury really well. His batting average, I mean, he's a plus everywhere except stolen bases. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about that for him, right? That's why he's not in the first tier, just because he right. doesn't steal base anymore. Right. But the guy hit 40 home runs in 120 games. He could have hit 50, right? So, he, you're, he so you're on the – yes, he could, yeah, absolutely. So you're on the clock. Who are you taking, Acuna oh, or Trout? Uh, it does depend on my pick before this, right? Mm-hmm. So if I took some – if I took a more – if I took a riskier player in the first round – I'm taking Mike Trout in the second round, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was super safe, I might lean Acuna. But also it depends on if I got stolen bases in the first round. They're, these guys are truly same tier toss up. You don't have much of a team yet, but I mean, I'm going to tend to lean Trout, but I also recognize that Acuna ceiling is higher because he does steal bases. If you went first round, maybe, uh, you know, a guy who doesn't steal, right? Like maybe you took a, you know, maybe you, you're near the, you know, you're near the turn. You took Juan Soto and now you're coming back. You want that second outfielder, which is a totally fine build. Like mm. I didn't get many steals in with the first guy. I need him with the second guy. Then you lean Acuna. But my first round, I'm 10. I'm generally taking a five, a five tool guy. Right. I might even lean more trout there. Also, I just freaking love Mike trout, but yeah. you know, there are situations, you know, there are situations where you take Ronald Acuna jr. He does of course have the five tool upside versus trout's four. I get that, but also, right, um, you can totally interchange these two. And I'm not going to argue with you about it. Mm-hmm. The only thing not to like about Mike Trout is that he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and Philadelphia Eagles trounced my New York Giants. But, hey, you know, uh, why don't we take a quick break and start with Tier 3. We're going to start with uh, Michael Harris, who is your 10th-ranked outfielder, and we'll be back right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, Scott Chu, and we're going through the outfield position, going tier by tier. These are Scott's ranks. Scott, these are going to be live when PL8 uh, uh, debuts this Tuesday? Yes, sir. Okay, very good. Okay. So starting at at number 10, uh, Michael Harris. Then you've got Kyle Schwarber, and I want to talk about him. Um, Kyle Schwarber, Dolis Garcia, Cedric Mullins. Luis Robert Jr., Tiasker Hernandez. So, um, you know, Michael Harris, love him because <laughs> I was able to pick him up uh, in one of my leagues uh, off the waiver wire last year. Uh, 95th percentile in sprint speed, 19 homers, 20 or uh, 20. Uh, I was almost going to say 20 RBI, but 20 stolen bases. Uh, the only issue with him that I see is uh, his splits. Was really bad uh, against left-handed pitching, uh, almost 100 points lower, a uh, batting average there. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, um, I-, I was wondering why you ranked them so high, and then I started looking at, you know, taking a deeper look at him. Did strike out uh, MLB leading 200 times, but he was one of the players who was shifted on a lot. 
And his Woba with the shift was 384. No shift his Woba was 453. Uh, so uh, league average on Woba was 310 last season. And then you look at this guy in his average exit velocity at 99. Uh, you know, expect, expected slug. 98. So I, I kind of see why you ranked them a little higher than, than others did. Uh, but in this, um, in this tier, anybody that you want to specifically uh, hit upon? Yeah. So first I'll talk real quick about Michael Harris. Uh, the second, what I love about Michael Harris is look, he's, he's really aggressive when he swings, right? He mm-hmm. swings a lot more than most players. However, it did come down as the season went on. He really started out as possibly like the most aggressive in terms of how often he swung compared to the rest of the league. Then by the end of the season, he's still in like the top seven, you know, he's in that 75th percentile. He still swings a lot, but as that came down, you know what we saw? We saw the performance go up because he just needed to, he needed to get away from some of the real, basically the really bad swings. He could mm-hmm. make contact with them. That wasn't the problem. He just can't do anything with those pitches. So he got a little better at understanding what pitches he could do damage with what he couldn't. So I really like Michael Harris, uh, the second there. I kind of joked in the hitter list last year that Michael Harris's rank only ever went up, right? The whole season, mm-hmm. it only ever went up. So sure, sophomore slump, whatever you want to worry about that. This is a, I mean, I think 2020 is almost a floor, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really like that. And I think he'll be out of like the bottom of that lineup. I think he's, he's going to get more chances to hit near the top, more plate appearances. That means more chances to do damage. That's what I want. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, glad you brought him up. Um, Number one, he's just an elite power source, right? I mean, no you're, the the forty home run guys are pretty much gone now, right? Like in the draft, we we don't have this isn't twenty nineteen anymore. We don't have a bunch of guys who can hit forty. We have a very limited number of players who are likely to hit thirty five or more home runs. Kyle Schwarber is about as safe as they come in that sense. He's uh, I mean, he's very <clears throat> he's generally very durable. We did he did miss some time in twenty twenty one. Still hit thirty two home runs that season. Hit two sixty sixty six. Uh, he is a lefty, so these shift rules may help him a fair amount mm-hmm. when he does hit mm-hmm. the ball on the ground. He does hit a lot of balls in the air, though. Uh, so, you know, I think some of that batting average is some of that batting average just bad luck, right? His career BABIP is, you know, I hate, I don't always love using BABIP, career BABIP of 268, right? Last season, 240. He should get a little bit better. I'm not saying he's going to have a good batting average, but going from 220 to 230 to 240 is meaningful. Right. Yes. I mean, that's especially with someone with as many plate appearances and at bats as Schwarber. He does walk a lot. So if you're an OBP league, you, you care even less because his his floor in OBP is, you know, a little better than league average OBP. So mm-hmm. uh, you get that there. And of course, the, the Phillies are a good team. He's going to he's going to hit. A, he's going to hit a lot of home runs for them. So I like that a lot. As far as the rest of this tier goes, I mean, Adolis Garcia, I think people are people are a little too worried about the contact issues. He actually did get a little better last season compared to the year before. And look, unless you're in a dynasty league, you don't care about how long Adolis Garcia can do this, right? Hit 30 home runs, steal 20 bases. You just care about if he can do it for one more year. And there's no reason to believe that he can't. So I like Adolis Garcia there. Um, Lewis Robert, huge injury risk. Worried about that. And Randy Rosarena is almost like, he's sort of like Adolis Garcia, but it's flipped, right? He's more of like a 20 home run, 30 stolen base guy instead of the other way around. Batting average won't be that good, but He's one of the few everyday players for the Rays. I like that. And then Teoscar Hernandez, he's, this is like Teoscar Hernandez represents sort of like the power bat. That's going to just, that's going to be the peak then, right? A 30 home run guy with a decent average. Those are still going to be around, but that's not Kyle Schwarber, right? That's why Kyle Schwarber's at the top of this tier. Teoscar's at the bottom because Teoscar Mm -hmm. ain't hitting 40 home runs, right? right? 
Schwarber is. So when you're when you're just looking for those numbers, you know, Teoscar, a fine player, not that exciting, but that's fine. You don't need exciting; you need production. Right. Hey, Cedric Bowens is in this tier. Um, how concerned are you with his issues hitting lefty pitching? Batted two hundred nine against lefties last season. Still struck out. Uh, still stole a bunch of of bases, but barrel rate, hard hit rate. Uh, ISO all took a, a bit of a hit, um, it, you know, and, and he went from, you know, being a switch hitter. Uh, and then, you know, talk to me a little bit. Are you concerned about that issue with the left-handers? Are we blown it out of proportion? If Cedric Mullins do, does what he did last season, mm. this season, this is a great place to draft him. That's kind of where I feel about it. Yeah, they took hits. They took hits from his 30-30 season, right? I never expect – I even after the 30-30 season, we were like, we don't expect 30 home runs from Cedric Mullins, right? Especially right. with the wall changes and, I mean, not not as big of a deal for him uh, because he is a left-handed batter. But, you know, having issues with lefties, that's kind of fine. That's the small side, right? It's not like he has issues with righties, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I do think he might, he might be able to rebound a little bit there. Uh, it's going to be hard to tell. But, again – you're drafting him because you want those 15 home runs, 30 stolen bases, and whatever else comes on top. And he does have, tw- I mean, he could hit 20 home runs, mm-hmm. right? That yeah, potential yeah. there. So, yes. Mm-hmm. I, and I mean, the batting average is going to be fine. I don't expect him, you know, hit 291 in 2021. Get 2021 is his career performance, almost certainly, right? Yeah. And that's fine, yes. right? Because you can accept 2022 as maybe not necessarily a baseline, but as a much more reasonable expectation, if that's your reasonable expectation, this is definitely when you want to draft him. This is where you should rank him. Right. Luis uh, Robert Jr. Real quick. You, you mentioned big time injury risk and yes. Uh, so he's almost comparable in a way to Byron Buxton in that way. Right. Um, you know, basically a, a five tool guy who you just wonder how many games you're going to get out of him in a season. And when I started just looking at his stuff too, really swings at a lot of stuff outside of the strike zone, right? Uh, O-swing uh, or chase rate, whatever you want to call it, 48.3 last season, league average 32.6. And yet, you know, with all of his chasing, still had a pretty good K rate, 19.2, which is below the league average. Doesn't walk a lot, but, uh, you know, you got to wonder. Didn't, uh, here's an interesting thing that, uh, you know, we think of him as a 5-2 guy, but just two stolen base attempts, then they were unsuccessful in his last 51 games. So uh, just wondering what we're going to get out of him, even if we do see a full season out of him. Yeah, and I, I sort of have him pegged as like a 20, you know, hopefully like, you know, 2020 would be great, but maybe it's more like 25-15 kind of mm-hmm. thing for Lewis Robert, assuming he plays most of a season. Lewis Robert's an interesting guy because you're right. He is, he does chase a ton. And normally that would lead to a lot of strikeouts, but our beautiful rolling charts that we got over at pitcher list right now will help you understand that his contact ability is among the best in baseball. This Mm. guy can hit those pitches that other players can't. That's an elite skill. That's why he can swing. He doesn't just swing at a lot of stuff outside the zone. He swings at everything in the zone, right? He Mm -hmm. just swings a lot. So he makes a ton of contact. He has a ton of power. Uh, I'm all about that. That's why the batting average is so high because he just rips line drives and hard hit balls all over the place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's fine. There are more. I think the one thing that I hope these charts help people understand is that there's more than one way to succeed in baseball. You do not have to be Juan Soto. In fact, I wish Juan Soto would swing more, right? Mm -hmm. He's far too passive in my mind. He lets good pitches go. 
yeah, it's great that he's got this great walk rate and strikeout rate, but like he also can do damage when you're that strong, hit the ball, man. Uh, you know, again, not, not super fancy analysis there, but if you're that strong, hit the ball, that's what Lewis Robert does. Yes. Could he stand to maybe lay off some of these uh, fringy pitches, these pitches that are, are very hard to hit? Sure. And, and he certainly can improve upon that. But again, for now, the contact ability is there. You're really just worried about that health. Stolen base thing is interesting. I, I thought it was thought it was weird. I wonder if that was to manage injury risk. I'm not quite sure. I'll be really interested to see how that goes early in the season to get a, you know, because after about a month, you do need to start like saying, OK, originally I thought this was a 20 stolen base guy. Maybe it's 15. Right. right. And, and, I, and when I looked at his injury history last season, it wasn't like a leg injury that or a hamstring. It was a blurry vision and uh, he had a wrist injury, too. So that's why I was a little surprised that he only attempted two in those last 51 games. But, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, we can move on to uh, tier four and Randy Rosarina, uh 16th ranked by you, leads off that tier. Uh what could you say about a Rosarina? Another another twenty home run uh, season, thirty two stolen bases, bases got caught twelve times, but uh, just continues to outperform his expected stats in the uh, batting average, slugging, and ex woba categories. Um, Eloy Jimenez, another guy with a lot of injury risk, is also in this tier. Starling Marte. Uh, coming off of uh, core muscle surgery. Looks like he'll be, re- be ready for the start of the season, but not, might not be ready uh, for the start of spring training. And you have to comment, too, I guess, on his stolen base uh, total decline and uh, just a 67% success rate last season. Corbin Carroll, uh, 100% percentile in sprint speed. Exciting to see him play for a full season. And uh, we alluded to Byron Buxton, uh, then uh, George Springer and Brian Reynolds close out this tier four for you. Yeah, so, you know, with with Corbin Carroll, uh, there is a lot of risk here, right? Because if you just look at the performance, you're not going to see, I'm not seeing the same exciting things I saw from like a J-Rod or an O'Neill Cruz, right? But that doesn't mean he doesn't have that pedigree and that ability. It just means I didn't see it on the field yet. And some of those underlying skills definitely looked like a rookie. Right. But it was Mm -hmm. a small sample. He's among the better outfield prospects we've seen in the last two or three years. So there's a lot to like there. I'm not drafting him if I took risks earlier in the draft. Right. If I already took a gamble on like Ronald Acuna Jr. staying healthy and, you know, something like that, then I'm probably skipping Corbin Carroll. Right. Uh, Because I don't want all that risk near the top of my draft. I want to spread that out. But otherwise, uh, you know, I I do like his skill set. He is a five tool potential kind of player. Uh, Starling Marte, you know, big drop in the stolen bases. Part of that is just because Oakland let him run at an unreasonable rate when he got there. So uh, he stole a ton of bases when he was in Oakland. He get he gets to the Mets and he just doesn't steal as much. That's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, there's still mm-hmm. a very good hitter there and there's always upside. He's got that core muscle surgery. I know that was bothering him in the past. So maybe mm-hmm. that makes him a little better there. Byron Buxton, he's just a massive injury risk. That's all it is. When he plays, he plays really well. He just never plays. And again, one of these players where if you haven't taken risks yet, this is a good time because mm-hmm. you can recover from this. Mm-hmm. But if you've already taken several risks, you do not want to add to that here. You don't want to all of a sudden see your whole team be a bunch of quote unquote league winners, right? Right. Like you right. don't want to see a whole team of if he's healthy, right? right. Because they're not all going to be healthy. That's just not yeah. going to happen. Even if it does, you can't go into the season thinking that it will. 
You can't do that. You cannot build a team that way. So that's a great you, point because not only in this instance, right, but also sometimes you might be focusing in on too many of the uh, hot names like the, the, the big rookies, right? I mean, if you take too many of them and they don't pan out, you know, you can't swing for the fences on every pick, right? And you brought up a great point about Buxton. Yeah, you, you just, you can't. It's it's very team context because if you've taken, let's say, let's say you did take an Acuna Jr. and Jazz Chisholm earlier in your draft, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying take Byron Buxton off your board, but I'm saying you're probably not, you, you probably should not be targeting him. He needs to move way down your list, right? Your ranks should sort of fluctuate in draft, mm-hmm. right? Because all of a sudden, you like, we do these rankings in this vacuum that doesn't exist past the first round, mm-hmm. right? The first round is sort of a vacuum. I want the best player, blah, blah, blah. But as the draft goes, you all of a sudden have needs. You have needs that have been met. You have needs that are not being met, right? You need to address them. You've, you've taken on an, a certain amount of risk, and there's only so much risk that you're comfortable with, right? Some people, it's a little higher. Some people, it's a little lower. And there's reasonable minds can differ on how much risk you take, but as a draft goes, a guy like Byron Buxton, right? He moves way up. He can move up or down your rankings based on how much risk do I already have, right? If I've, if I've got a ton of safe picks right off the top, right? I've taken, uh, you know, my outfield so far is, is Kyle Tucker. And I also had, uh, you know, Bobachet and Jose Altuve, right? Mm-hmm. I got a bunch of safe guys, mm-hmm. right? If that's the case, all of a sudden I go, hey, you know what? That Byron Buxton upside looks a little sexier now, doesn't it? Mm. Because if it doesn't work out, I'm fine. I can manage. Yeah. I can deal with that. But again, if it, if it is starting out with a bunch of risk, then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I I cannot add to that. Right? Like you I wouldn't want a, an outfield with uh, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, and Byron Buxton in it, right? I mean, like there's this <laughs> world <laughs> where that wins the NFBC, right? Right. <laughs> but like. There's a lot of potential worlds. That is exactly one of them, right? Because that's how unlikely some alternate universe plane of existence. That's like, like you know, I I know you're a comics books guy. That's like one of the parallel universes, but there's like six trillion of them, right? And that's only in the one, right? So, so that's difficult. Um, You really want to balance like a lot of these things out, and and it's not just risk in terms of health too. Like you really want to balance risk at certain categories, right? If you're Mm -hmm. considering Julio Rodriguez, a stolen base risk, and you've taken on maybe a uh, a Lewis Robert who is also a stolen base risk, you now need to really focus on safe stolen bases because you ain't Mm -hmm. got them. Right. Alternatively, if you've taken a bunch of safe stolen bases, right, you've got Trey Turner, and you've got you know, maybe, you know, one or two other guys that really contribute there. You can say like, yeah, this guy may not get to the stolen base total. I hoped, but he didn't need to, right? Cause if he doesn't, I'm still fine. I can make up, you know, if one player doesn't pan out, I can make up for that later in the draft on the wire and all those things, but I can't start making up for like three picks in my first seven, not panning out. Right. That's how, right. that's how you, you know, when you write like your eulogy for a fantasy season, that's usually how it started. Well, three of my first seven players either got hurt or didn't produce. So it was a rough season, right? right. Don't put yourself in that position now. 
right? right? You want some of that to be a surprise if it happens, right? Bad luck happens, but you can't let yourself do that. So, I mean, that, that's that's a lot to say about about risk. But again, you've got to no, know. No, it's it's got to be it's got to be mentioned, uh, and it's good analysis. Real quick before we take a, a quick break, and I know we spoke about him already, but you've you've mentioned Julio Rodriguez as as a stolen base risk. What do you think his floor is in terms of stolen bases this season? I want to say it's like 20. Okay. Right. Yeah, it, that's fair. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think he obviously has more speed than that. Mm-hmm. I think the projections have mostly pegged him around 25 to 30. I think if you think of 20 as a floor, that's just fine. I mean, he did get 25 last season. I know that a lot of that was front loaded. It was actually mm-hmm. front loaded at a time when, you know, you'll also see this about stolen bases. Sometimes you see big jumps and drops in stolen bases because of how the hitter is actually performing at the plate. Right. Mm-hmm. Glaber Torres, when he really struggled in 2021, you know what they had him do? Run. Yeah. You're not going to hit a double. Get on first and get yourself to second. Right. Mm-hmm. You'll see this. Or, uh, you know, teams that uh, uh, Ramon, L- Ramon Laureano a couple years ago started out super, super uh, like really, really cold. Right. And the uh, the A's as a whole lost like 80 percent of their games in this stretch. To get that win back, you know what they tried to do? They tried to steal a bunch of bases. They had them run just constantly, right? Mm -hmm. Teams, stolen bases are extremely contextual. So that does make them sort of hard to predict. But uh, at the same time, players with that ability, they're going to use that ability, right? Mm -hmm. The rule changes also help offset some of that, right? Because you can't try to hold Julio Rodriguez to the base as much as maybe you would have liked. Uh, this team does not have necessarily a ton of stolen base threats at the top of this lineup, right? right? So uh, they're going to, if they're going to steal, that's how they're going to do it. Uh, and again, you can only steal in certain contexts, right? You know, our own Adam Howe runs a podcast, ne- podcast network. He's over on On the Wire. I know he is working on some stats to try to get to a more predictive way for stolen bases, which is really cool. Looking but forward again, to that, yeah. It's extremely contextual, so they're really hard to project, but you should always be thinking about floor with stolen bases. Ceiling mm-hmm. is cool, but you actually really want to start with a floor. Right, right. All right, good stuff. So uh, this would be a good spot for us to take a break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we'll take a look at some more tiers, and yeah, maybe we'll take a look at uh, a couple guys that might have uh, had uh, – potential for a bounce back season and uh, maybe let uh, Scott give him free reign to talk about a couple of players that he's interested in, or maybe some that he feels we should avoid. We'll be right back right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks fantasy baseball podcast. And uh, Scott, uh, Moving on here to, it's a small tier, tier five, uh, Stephen Kwan, Dalton Varsho, Taylor Ward, Seiya Suzuki. I'm actually a little surprised when I'm looking at the projections for Seiya Suzuki. Um, looks like mid-20 home run projections for him. I'm a little surprised with that. Andrew Vaughn uh, is a guy I'm kind of interested in this season. He's in this uh, tier as well. Chris Bryant, uh, second season in Colorado. Uh, injury riddled first one. And um, so out of this tier, I know you, it seems like you're a, a, a kind of a big Stephen Kwan guy, but anyone else in this, uh, in this tier that you're, that stands out to you? Yeah. You know, Stephen Kwan, superfluous hit tool, uh, really good at making contact. 
I have pulled back some of my power hopes the more I've looked at some of these rolling charts, right? right? I don't just use them to make myself feel like I was smart before. Sometimes I do change my mind a little bit. I am sure. hedging that, a little that's bit. That's what makes you smart power. is when you uh, realize that, you know, you should, you know, revamp your, your, your projections. You know? we, we did see a bit of a power spike for Quan in the second half. It wasn't huge, though. I do mm-hmm. think he'll hit more than the six home runs he had in 2022. Steamer projected 11. I think I'm kind of in that range. I had hoped for something like 15. I don't think he gets quite that high. But, you know, he could go from a, you know, he hit six stolen ba- or six home runs, 20 stolen bases. I think he could be a 10 home run, 20 stolen base kind of guy. And that makes a difference, especially with someone who can absolutely hit 280, 290, even Easily. 300. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, you know, excellent play discipline. A lot of things to like about him. Just the power's a little light. So, again, he's a player that moves up and down your board based on your power needs, mm-hmm. right? A, a player I'm really excited about, though, is Taylor Ward. I was excited about him last year. And, you know, when you look at Taylor Ward, we, you know, we have this power chart. And our power chart is basically how many extra bases did he add per batted ball event uh, compared to what we would expect for you know, the location and all and and the quality of the pitch. Right. And at worst in the middle of the year, he was average, but he showed both in the beginning at the end of the year when he was healthy, more importantly, he dealt with injuries through most of the middle of the season, but uh, he started out hot. He ends hot. And when we see that he's, he's adding, it doesn't sound like much, right? But he's adding a quarter to a third of an extra base per batted ball. Right. So that means every three batted balls, he's adding an extra base compared to the rest of the league. That's a ton. That is not that is a well above 90th percentile. Right. The 90th percentile is a little bit low, you know, a little bit lower than a quarter. Um, weirdly enough, like the at, this is kind of weird about this power stat, and I want to call it out. So Taylor Ward at worst was around MLB average. That's adding about 0.15 expected extra bases, but that's because a lot of pitches have zero bases. So anytime you made contact you're sort of at like you're adding more because you actually made contact, right? Our stats don't just say it's not only for hits, right? Mm-hmm, We're doing mm-hmm. this by batted ball event, but many of them we would expect to get like the expected, the expected bases for this pitch, whether or not you made contact is like 0.05, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you got a single, right? So you did much better than we expected, right? Because you got a hit when we did not expect. So uh, the league average is like a little below uh, 0.15 extra bases added when you make contact. Uh, So he's double that at times, right? Mm -hmm. Big, big power in this bat, I think, as long as he's healthy. And again, he wasn't just hurt. He played through it hurt. Right. Players who... There's a, there's a great article on Fangraphs about players who play through injury. Taylor Ward, Taylor Ward is on that. Playing through injury can give people the wrong idea about a player's ability, because playing hurt doesn't. Now, if you're always hurt, then it sort of you know you sort of have to just always accept that, right? But Taylor Ward isn't always hurt. He just was hurt last season. Expecting big things from Taylor Ward, uh, and the power is just very very real. So. Like I said, really excited about Taylor Ward. That's a player I'm targeting. And say a Suzuki. Big thing with Suzuki coming from the uh, Nippon League in Japan is he got better. As, he's extremely passive at the plate. Uh, that's that's why the walk rate is so good. But as the season went on, he not he he didn't really necessarily become more aggressive, but he did get better at making contact. Right? Because mm-hmm. he's seeing breaking balls with much more velocity than he saw in Japan. In Japan, he sees a lot of junk pitches, right? And I don't mean junk like that. I mean, junk, like they've got a ton of guys that just throw 
kitchen sink. Like, you know, you Darvish has like 30 pitches. Like that's the <laughs> Nippon league, right? Japan in, in Japan, they do value guys who can throw all sorts of different things. Keep hitters off balance, right? We also see this in Korea. Just, it's just a style when you don't have a ton of velocity add a lot of movement, right? <clears throat> so he starts getting used to this American style and he gets better at contact as the season goes on. And that's why all these projections are projecting growth for say Suzuki. Cause he yeah. got better at understanding the strike zone, better at making contact with pitches, better at understanding where these pitches were going to end up in the strike zone so that he could make better contact. I like all of those things. I think that, you know, he is a, you're definitely 20 plus home run, 10 plus stolen base guy with excellent ratios. I'm really excited about what say a Suzuki can bring mm. Chris Bryant. I mean, this is just the Byron Buxton tale, but with a different flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Colorado. The one thing I do want to say about Chris Bryant is number one. I have no doubt that if he plays a full season, he is an excellent fantasy outfielder. No mm-hmm. doubt. I do have doubts about one thing though. And that's uh, how many Colorado Rockies you have on your roster. I would hate to have more than two uh, in the hitter in hitting department. And that's because that cores effect, that pesky cores effect for all of the benefits. It brings them at home. It makes them crap on the road mm. because the ball moves differently. We talk about it all the time. The ball yeah. moves differently. All these things make it so much harder to hit. So when you have several Rockies on your roster, unless they're all playing at home that week, you've got a problem. Right. right. Because they have Good very point, yeah. predictable slumps and it depends on where they play. So mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. Uh, and then Andrew Vaughn, I hope we find more power. I'm just not necessarily expecting it. Right. Mm-hmm. I do think he has the potential to move up a tier, but I also would consider him sort of safe here. Uh, he he needs to uh, he really needs to just swing a little bit more pitches in the zone. I think I think he needs to. Uh, really start driving the ball with more authority. I think he needs to not be jerked around like he was with Tony Larusa, hitting, you know, getting sat for no particular reason, moving up and down the lineup for no particular reason. Definitely think there's potential there, but uh, he is a player I'm generally avoiding unless he falls. I don't like mm. him in his ADP. I like him after. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we have a few minutes left, so let's take a quick look at uh, a player or two in tier six and any other players that you'd like to talk about. Uh, thereafter. So tier six starts with uh, John Carlos Stanton at uh, the, you rank him 28th and obviously a lot of power, but uh, missed a ton of games again last season after kind of had a, a pretty good season in terms of uh, avoiding injuries in 2021. But then you got Jake McCarthy, uh, Anthony Santander had a very nice year, uh, 33 home runs, I believe. Uh, Christian Yelich, uh, kind of weird to to see him kind of continue to to fall and into this tier. Uh, Nick Castellanos, obviously very good hitter, uh, but uh, one guy I wanted to talk to you about though, uh, Tyler O'Neill, because uh, basically uh, you know injuries hurt him last year, the shoulder impingement, hamstring. Uh, I think he was on the IL for like sixty plus days or whatnot. Uh, ground ball percentage spike. Um, and really, you know, after his 2021 season where he hit 34 home runs, 15 stolen bases, uh, you know, a lot of people were, were in on him, but, uh, do we give him a pass, uh, based on the injury uh, problems that he had last season? I mean, certainly not a pass, right? Uh, Tyler O'Neill does have good judgment of the strike zone. He's just not always that good at making contact. So uh, it's very interesting to see where I, I really want to know where he's going to end up in the lineup. Uh, yeah, I will say this, though. The one thing he's got is category juice, right? I mean, only played 96 games, still got 14 home runs, still stole 14 bases, right? Uh, I actually think the stolen base ceiling is higher than that. 
especially mm-hmm. with the rule changes. He's the type of guy that can benefit from that. Uh, it's just, it's a big injury risk, right? Again, this is a player who's going to move up and down your ranks, Tyler O'Neill, depending on how much injury risk you have already, right? But if you don't have a lot of injury risk, you're looking to get a player with huge, huge upside out of this tier. I mean, Tyler O'Neill's that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Of all these players, uh, he might be the best bet to give you uh, home runs and stolen bases if he plays a full season. Uh, Jake McCarthy, a guy who it's really, I'm kind of curious to see how he ends up hitting. He really got hot towards the end of last season. I'm not, I don't know. Some leagues for people. Yeah. Yeah. Out of nowhere. (laughs) So it's always hard to understand what's going to happen. You don't see some of the same like consistent growth. Like you see with other players, he's a bit more up and down. So a little bit of risk there, but if you're drafting him, it's because you want the stolen bases. And I definitely Mm -hmm. think he can do that. If nothing else, I'm not sure how real the power is, but I do believe in the stolen bases. Santander and, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, likely to get to the same home run totals in a different amount of games, right? I bet they both hit 30. It's just a Giancarlo will just do it in less time. If you're in a league that has IL spots, Giancarlo right. is a much safer pick. If you're in something more like the NFBC where you don't have IL spots, he's going to be rough because there's going to be about 20 to 30 days this season, at least that you need to expect that he cannot play for you. Right. Which stinks. Of course, if he's healthy, you know, he's a guy that can move a little up and down, but he's a little safer than some of the other injury risk guys, because at least I know if he plays 120 games, he's getting me 30 home runs. I got no question about what he's going to do, just about how much he's going to play. That's very different than having both at the same time. Tyler Mm -hmm. O'Neill is an injury risk. And I got a few concerns about what's going to happen when he plays. He only hit 228 last season. Right. Mm So you got uh, the upside's higher with Tyler O'Neill than it is Giancarlo Stanton in a sense, right? Not right. not for home runs necessarily, but for the stolen bases and all overall contribution. But with O'Neill, I'm worried about both things. With Giancarlo, it's just if he plays, he hits a bunch of home runs. Uh, the the player I'm really targeting in in like some of these tiers that are coming on, you know, in this particular tier, I'm usually going with someone safe like a Santander. Castellanos falls a lot in certain drafts. I'm really interested in there, and of course in OBP, I think the pick in a guy who's in a, you actually want to move up a whole tier in OVP is Brandon Nemo who mm-hmm. walks a ton. He's going to be at the top of a strong Mets lineup. He's going to score a boatload of runs. Runs are a stat that people tend not to think about as much. Uh, they're not as sexy as RBI, but they are hard to get your hands on. Uh, and Brandon Nemo is a guy who you really, if he plays a full season or even most of it, right? 130, 140 games. I really like his shot to get to 90 or more runs scored. Hmm. What are you expecting? And I'm going to just throw a couple of players at you and then we could call it a day. But uh, I'm just going to throw a couple of random players out at you. Masataka Yoshida for the Red Sox almost looks like he might have the, the like a, a Stephen Quanish kind of uh, quality to him. You know, high batting average, high OBP. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his power translates from playing in Japan uh, to playing in, in the in the big leagues, but doesn't really steal a ton of, of bases. But what are you expecting out of Masataka Yoshida this season? I do expect a good batting average, a lot of contact and 15 to 20 home run power. It just doesn't come with a lot else, right? He's not a guy like Nemo. Who's going to score 90 plus runs. He's mm-hmm. not a guy like Santander who can hit 30 home runs, right? He's not a guy that's going to drive in even 80 runners, right? The Red Sox lineup does not look super good right now, especially after they lost uh, Trevor story. So he's more of an accumulator, right? I don't love him in these Yahoo three outfielder leagues, right? That's actually why he's ranked a little lower in these because 
I did these rankings for Yahoo leagues generally that only have three outfielders and Yoshida's ceiling just isn't high enough except in batting average. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do, I do accept that. Although instead of him, I'd almost kind of rather have like a guy like Jeff McNeil who might have a little less power than that, but I think can just do a lot of other things a little better. And Mm -hmm. is of course, I'm not wondering what batting average Jeff O'Neill or Jeff McNeil is going to have. Right. It's going to be, I mean, he's, he's a batting batting title contender. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. So, so that's him, you know, other guys I'm really targeting in some of these later tier. uh, And and I know that some other podcasts uh, in our network, love him, Lars and Newt bar. So Mm -hmm. Lars Newt bar, really passive at the plate, right? Let's a lot of pitches go. I do think he's going to lead off for the Cardinals, but what I love seeing is even though he was very passive at the plate, those rolling charts that we've got now show you that he got so good at making contact by the end of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Just better and better and better as the season goes. His power, when he makes contact, he hits it for a lot of power. The thing is, he just doesn't, he has really good contact ability and really good power. Because he's so passive, it doesn't have the same impact as other players with that kind of contact ability and power. So mm-hmm. he's a player that I'm kind of like, swing, buddy. Like, look at <laughs> look how good you are at making contact. Look how hard you hit the ball when you hit it, right? Mm-hmm. Swing a little more. Don't be so passive in the zone, right? We didn't talk about Juan Soto that much, but that's another guy who uh, elite decision value, all these things. But um, he can hit some of that stuff, so he should hit it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Juan Soto going forward, just in case you wondered. But. I do think he could stand to be just a little bit more aggressive. So Lars Newtbar, really a guy I'm looking at in these ranges. Um, if you're in a league with an IL, Bryce Harper is an elite guy sure, to keep on your sure. IL. Uh, you know, again, if you've only got one or two IL spots, though, you got to drop him a little bit mm. uh, just because that's all. That's a long time to hold up those spots and you're going to have other injuries. So, you know, that's is, an interesting one. Is S3, um, S3 uh, Ruiz. Is he the only Oakland A you would consider tra- drafting at this point? Uh, you know, 30 stolen base potential. Um, what do you think about him? Yeah, so uh, no, he's not the only Oakland A I would consider drafting because I'm mostly not considering drafting him, right? <laughs> so, Esther uh, Ruiz, he's got elite speed. He just doesn't hit the ball, right? Mm. I mean, it's it's very much almost like a Billy Hamilton problem except Billy Hamilton got to play every single day at the top of a lineup in a, right. an environment that was a little more conducive to steals. He almost feels more like a pinch runner. Would it be that weird if a story Ruiz turned into like Terrence Gore who uh, is on good teams all the time. Cause they sign him in like August to be a pinch runner in the postseason. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's just what he is. So I'm a little bit worried about that. Uh, and, and because I hate drafting guys that only steal. Mm. Uh, you know how many times people try to talk themselves into those players, the Delino de Shields and Miles Straws experiments of years past, right? Yeah. These guys, well, he'll be a leadoff guy and he can run. Stop it, right? Mm. Uh, unless they've proven they can make contact and get on base, I don't want it, right? You have to be able to hit because if all you can do is walk, pitchers will just challenge you in the zone. Right. That's what they'll do. They've all learned it. They'll just give you pitches in the zone and make you hit it because they know you ain't hitting a double. Right. right. So right. once they know you can't hit for power, they'll stop caring. Riley Green, post hype sleeper. What are we thinking? Oh, baby, yes. <laughs> so yeah, you beat me to it. Big fan of Riley Green. Both him and Spencer Torkelson are guys who, as the season went on, better at judging the strike zone, better at adding power because they were recognizing better pitches to hit. Uh, he's going to get tons of opportunity. The Tigers need him to be a piece of their team going forward. If they want to be successful in the next five years, he must be a part of it. He's going to get a ton of potential. You know, he's going to get a ton of ways to do that. Uh, 
the numbers you saw last year are not like, don't just project that out going forward. That's not mm-hmm. what he is. He's going to continue to get better. I love him at the, you know, as that sort of last outfielder, it's a little tougher in these three outfielder leagues, but he could be a utility guy or maybe one of your only bench hitters. Right. So I really like him there in five outfield leagues. I love him as a fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh, just make sure you've got a little bit of safety up there, but he's got power. He's got speed. I think he can do it all. Um, uh, you know, another player, you know, he's definitely a guy I really, really like in terms of just the upside there. Also, you know, just talk some more Tigers, Austin Meadows, a guy who really mm. struggled with injuries last season. You know, is he that elite player he was with Tampa Bay back in 2021? I mean, maybe not, right? But there's there's no way he is a zero power guy going forward. I definitely think those injuries mess with him. I think that there's definitely some value there. He's, and he's almost a watch list guy in 12 team Yahoo leagues, right? You don't have to add him. You can just watch list him. Cause we're, ta- we're already starting to talk about like outfielders ranked in the fifties. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, Ramon Laureano also in this tier, he is the one Oakland day. I probably do consider drafting cause he does have power and speed, but the injuries aren't so good. He's another guy. I'd and he might not be in Oakland. A. <laughs> yeah. For too long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's him. a guy that, uh, that I'd keep an eye on. Uh, and Oswaldo Cabrera of your, of your Yankees, I think, if he gets that job and gets to keep it, I don't know mm-hmm. if he will. I, I think there's, there's a lot of question marks on how many games he'll get, but I think early in the season, you can find he's worth drafting just to find out if he wins a job, maybe in that outfield or, mm-hmm. or something like that to play every day, there is power and there is speed, mm-hmm. right? I definitely think he can get, you know, 20 home run, like in a full season, this is a 20, 25 home run, 10 to 15 stolen base kind of guy. I think he can be a, uh, Glaber Torres type with a worse batting average. Yeah. Right. And he's the eligible probably all over the place that too. What's that? I said, and he's eligible in a lot of spots as well. The Yankees used them in a lot of uh, different defensive spots last season. So be yeah, interesting. So I would expect him to pick up some eligibility as season goes on. So uh, he's another guy. Um, and, and I think the last, you know, maybe some of the last guys I want to talk about. If you're in an OBP league, you need something safe late. Mark Canha. I think he's going to get some playing time for the Mets. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he's shown that he can get on base. That's something that's valuable. If uh, you're you're really, really getting late, right? There's certainly still a chance for Jared Kellenick to do something, right? I, I think he definitely kill, still could be something. You just don't want to draft it in a 12-teamer. Don't draft right. it, but watch it, right? Uh, another guy in 12-teamers who I'm not necessarily drafting, keeping an eye on, Michael Brantley, if, you know, if healthy, right? Um, there's still elite contact skills, right? And there are oh, things yeah, that you no can doubt. add to your team if you don't have it, right? Mm-hmm. Christopher Morrell, he's eligible in Yahoo leagues at second, third, short, and outfield. He's definitely got power and speed to boot, right? Like this is another guy who could be 25 home runs, 15 stolen bases if he can make contact. And if he can't, he goes into a platoon with Patrick Wisdom and becomes useless, right? So he's mm-hmm. another watch list. And I'm not doing an outfield episode without my boy Akil Badu. Uh, come on i gave i gave you riley green now you're gonna push me for for akil badu again it's never (laughs) enough right uh again don't draft akil badu watch Mm -hmm. akil badu Mm -hmm. right put him on that watch list especially if you ended up a little short on stolen bases just keep an eye on it uh i can he's a great example and this is what i'll wrap up he's a great example of why you don't just want to look at a trend on a chart you also want to look at the number on the left axis, right? The mm-hmm. Y axis, because he definitely trended up last season. 
but he never actually got good, <laughs> right? Uh, he's he's pretty good at taking walks, but he still misses too often. That's the big difference between him and like Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson had issues with quality of contact, but not making contact. Akil Badu has problems making contact, and that's a much bigger jump that he has to make, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the power we saw originally in 2021, it's not coming back. It's not. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't have that kind of power, right? Uh, but we've also seen very little of him above. I mean, this is still a very young player who has very little experience above single A ball. He basically never played double A because when the Tigers took him, they did it in the rule five draft, mm -hmm. right? So he had to be on the major league roster all season. Last season, he does go down to triple uh, A and has really mixed to low results. But I, no, he actually just, did well. Batted 300 with a 405 OBP. Oh, oh, even better. In 30 than thought, games. Right? Look at that. Come on. Give the guy yeah, a, a so, break. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I was thinking about overall that season. Every time he came up to the majors, he did really struggle. There are yes. some steps to take. He can take them, though, maybe. So you're allowed to have players like this. But remember, in a 12-team league, don't draft them. Just mm -hmm. watch them. Right. Unless you've got a real deep bench, don't draft them. Just watch them. The watch list is one of the least utilized tools in standard leagues. Your mm -hmm. league mates aren't using it, and they are, they are basically – at the whim and whimsy of the last 15 days, right? They'll do that sort by last 15 days. Don't do that. There, there's some value to it to give you some context, but have a watch list. Have players who already who you're excited about their skills, not just what they did the last two weeks. Of right? Get away yeah. from that and mm -hmm. start with a watch. Start with Good your advice. watch list, then look at recent performers, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain positions if you're just looking for saves and holds. You're like in a saves plus holds league and you just want to find a guy who gets holds. Sure, look at the last couple of days, right? But when you're looking at players you want to think about as contributing to your team long-term, get out of the past 15 days and into your watch list. Listen to podcasts, do some research, or maybe see a guy, okay, last 15 days, wow, he's really been doing some good stuff. Let me get him on the watch list, right? Let's see what happens in another seven because it's not that uncommon for a guy to be at the top of the, you know, seven day and 15 days and then in the middle or bottom of the 30 days, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's just a hot streak. Anyone's good for 15 days. So keep, keep that in mind. Do that. That's my big draft advice for you is that right after your draft, take all those guys that were in your queue. Right. And anyone that you really meant to put in your queue and go add them to your watch list right away. Perfect advice. Because that's great. That's when you can, that queue will give you a place to see what are the news updates for all these guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Yahoo, ESPN, they'll, they'll give you a little news clips. You say, oh, this is what's going on with these guys. Oh, hey, look, I didn't draft him, but I kind of want it. It was him versus the other guy I picked last. And this guy's now having a really hot spring training and he might win a bigger job than I thought he had. Let's make that switch. You don't have to, like, you can have all that right in front of you in that watch list. I want mm -hmm. you to have it because it's going to make you better. It's going to give you that leg up. It's going to help you keep an eye on those players. If you're not using a watch list, you need to right now. Absolutely. Great advice. So um, that uh, basically slams the lid on things for today. Scott, I got to go make the Sunday sauce. Just to remind you, we recorded this February 5th. Um, and uh, don't forget to follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If The Chew Fits. And uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast content from. Leave us a, a quality review if you don't mind. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>